One of the great challenges of raising children is um, teaching them table manners. Have you found that? I wrote down a couple areas that we've worked on with our children through the years. We've worked on things like burping, <laughs> overreaching for food, interrupting, consuming food before anybody else gets a chance to even look at it. Critiquing the meal when mom has worked very hard at that meal. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, you know, you've either experienced it as a young person or you're in a home now and you're saying, no, we don't do that. That's, that's poor table manners. When we come to Luke 14, in a sense, Jesus is going to be dealing with some table manners. Um, table manners from the religious leaders that are much more severe than burping during a meal. And so I want to I talk through those things with you. And, and what you'll find is, in this passage, coming out of the last chapter, Jesus has just finished talking about the fact that he's burdened because the Jews as a whole have rejected God. And he says, I would have loved to embrace you like, like, a, like a mother hen does her chicks, but you would not. And right after that, or within that context, Luke tells us this in Luke chapter 14, verse 1. And it came about when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, that they were watching him closely. Two other times in Luke's gospel, Pharisees have had him in for a meal. It never goes particularly well. You know, they get in there, and before you know it, it's like, uh-oh, the spotlight is turned on the Pharisees. It's exactly what happens here again, except this particular get-together is a definite setup to try to get Jesus. So one of the leaders, who apparently wasn't even hearing about his embrace of loving the world and wanting them to accept him, says, let's have you in for a meal, which sounds good on the surface, but it's a total setup because as he walks in, they're all watching him closely. Notice what he goes on to say. And there, in front of him, was a certain man suffering from dropsy. Dropsy. I've actually never met somebody with dropsy that I'm aware of. Maybe you have. But those that have it, they tell me that it, you have this unquenchable thirst all the time. And yet your body continues to bloat more and more and more. So the more you drink, the more bloated you feel, but you're not quenched. Your thirst is not quenched. And what happens is they bring Jesus in. Jesus is coming in for a meal, and they stick right smack in the middle of him, this man who is suffering. Now, I want you to think about how insensitive they are. Can you imagine? You've had dropsy. You don't sleep well. You're always thirsty. You could die. And somebody shuffles you into the middle of a room saying, stand here for a couple minutes. And you are nothing but the object of someone who's being used to get Jesus. And there in front of him, there was a certain man then suffering from dropsy. Um... And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? The, the, 
the religious leaders cannot get over the fact that Jesus would do certain things on the Sabbath when they don't think you were supposed to. Now, they had no specific Old Testament support for it. But they were things that they had layered onto the law saying, look, you can't do these kinds of things on the Sabbath. And one of the things they said you can't do on the Sabbath is heal. Why don't you wait till Monday? So they take this guy, put him right in the midst, and they watch Jesus closely to see what he's going to do with this guy with dropsy. And what I love about what Jesus does, Jesus is a brilliant communicator. There are times when he's very direct, isn't it? He'll kind of go for the juggler. And there's other times he'll use a very indirect approach, which is exactly what he does in this passage. He just probes them with questions. He never directly says over this event anything directly to them. He just asks a series of questions. Here's his first question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Well, yeah, it is. It is. And, 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 and so Jesus probes the question, you're putting this man in here, you're humiliating him, you're trying to actually get at me through him. I just have a question for you. Does, does the Bible say anything about not healing on the Sabbath? Just wondering. And the Bible says they're silent. And look at what happens in verse 4. They kept silent. Jesus took hold of him, healed him, and sent him away. I've often wondered about that. Jesus looks at this man that is being humiliated. He goes up to him and he takes hold of him. What would that do if he's unclean and you're clean? Shouldn't, that's right. It should make the clean unclean. But in, in Jesus Christ, everything gets reversed, doesn't it? Jesus touches him, and the unclean becomes clean. And Jesus heals the man, and, and to save him from any embarrassment, he says, you can go. I'll deal with these guys myself. And he lets the... Lets, isn't Jesus incredible? You're trying to set up Jesus, and Jesus is going to turn that. He's going to love that person. He's going to have him removed, and now he's going to deal with the guys. Look what he says. He said, I have another question for you. See what I mean, the indirection? It's brilliant. He said, listen, which one of you shall have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day. And they're all sitting there thinking, uh-oh. Right? Because the bottom line is, if their son fell into a well, if their animal fell into a well on the Sabbath, they would rescue either one. Jesus is looking back. You say you are religious leaders. Leading the people, and you use people to get at somebody else. Me, Jesus says in this situation. You are insensitive to a man who is suffering. You hypocrites. You would do this for an animal, but you don't value that man. Wow. No, he doesn't say any of that directly. But that's exactly what he says indirectly, isn't it? Look at verse 6. 
And they could make no reply to this. <laughs> they are shut down. Jesus, who was brought on in there and put on the defensive, is now going to switch and go on the offensive. You don't bring Jesus into these kind of settings and think you're going to get away with it. So the first thing he does is he tells them, you who say you're religious do not value all people. And then Jesus says this, look at verse 7. He began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, so apparently, Jesus is brought in. There's this whole dropsy guy that's brought in, and Jesus deals with that. But as he's sitting there, he's watching. Everybody's jockeying for position. Because, you know, it's not a whole lot different in our day. But in their day, where you sit means everything. If you're sitting at the right side, at the right person, it means you're, like, really important. But if you're sitting over there, you're really not important. And Jesus is watching. He's doing multiple things here. They're watching him closely. He's watching them. And he's noticing everybody's jockeying for a position. So he has a word for them. How they had been picking out the places of honor. He said to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. Lest someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both shall come and say to you, give place to this man. And then in disgrace, you proceed to occupy the last place. So Jesus says, I, I, mean, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever gone to some place and you sat at the wrong place? You didn't do it on purpose. But you found out like, uh-uh, that's where the honored people sit. I mean, that's happened to me, but I wasn't purposely doing it. It was like a blocked off area, but I didn't really realize it was blocked off. It's really kind of embarrassing when somebody comes up and says, ah, you can't sit here. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you know, you have to kind of pull out. Have you ever had that happen? Well, anyway, yeah, I mean, you may have not done it on purpose. These guys were doing it on purpose. And Jesus is saying, look, if you're invited to a wedding and you're positioning yourself at the wrong spot, you're sitting in the row where the husband and the, 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 the father of the bride and the mother of the bride sit. Like, what would that look like? Some guy just traipses up and sits right where the mother of the bride's supposed to be. How would you, like, I don't know, Ruth, how would you, Tim, how would you have felt? I mean, it'd be a major thing, you know. Somebody would have to go up and say, you got to move back at least two rows, right? Yeah, that's right, that's right. So, so, but, so Jesus, Jesus is, is giving this story, and he's saying, look, don't do that, but instead this is what you should do. Verse 10, when you're invited, go and recline at the last place. So that when one who has invited you comes, he may say, friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in, in the sight of all who are at the table with you. And Jesus says, here's the ultimate reason, verse 11. Everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled. And he who humbles himself shall be exalted. And brothers and sisters, let me explain something to you. I think this is really important. Is Jesus merely saying this? Is Jesus merely saying, look. Next time you go to a wedding or you go to somebody's house, sit in that last seat so that you can get exalted by them and you won't be humbled by them. Now, now there's truth to that, isn't there? But when Jesus makes this comment in verse 11, 
The person who exalts himself shall be humbled. The person who humbles himself shall be exalted. It's much bigger than this one event. Because this is God's treatment of people. Every other time that's used in the Gospels, it's all about what God is doing in relationship to people, not what people are doing in relationship with people. I think what God is saying here is this. How you express yourself, whether that's in humility or pride, self-centeredness and vanity, or self-sacrifice, is all ultimately indicative of your relationship with God. So when people are doing these things, it's not just about doing it so that, you know, that guy says, hey, good job, Think Finder, or not. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, but it's much deeper than that. It's much more about, how does God view me? What, what, did, what does God want from me? And God is about people who are not about impressing others. They're people who just love him and love others, and they don't care where they sit. It doesn't matter. I've been in churches where if you sit in the wrong seat, you're in a heap of trouble. Because that family's been sitting there for 40 years. You had better not sit in their seat. There's something about that that's wrong, isn't there? We should just be men and women, boys and girls that move into settings that say, we love God, we love his people. We're just here to be with them and not impress anybody with anything. It's just God. You see? Because what happens at this level is indicative of my relationship with God at this level. So it's much deeper than merely, merely table manners. So Jesus is invited in as a setup. And Jesus has this way of turning things. And he says, if you say you know God, you ought to be sensitive to others. If you say you know God, it means you're not about impressing people. You're freed by his grace to love people. And he will take the humble and in his way and in his time and for his purposes, Exalt them as he sees fit. Well, there's another guy at that meal that hasn't been talked to yet. So Jesus has talked to the religious leaders in general. He talked to the invited guests. But he hasn't talked to the host yet. So he figures, might as well get a word in for the host while we're at this. So look what happens in verse 12. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and repayment come to you. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. What's a really interesting verse, isn't it? I mean, it raises some questions, too, I think that we probably have to unpack. But it's, is Jesus saying here, you can't have your family over for dinner a, a, anymore? No, that's not the point. 
What he's saying here is this. You shouldn't exclusively minister to people whose back you can scratch that can turn around and scratch you, your back back. Back back. Can I say that? Whatever. I just did. Do you see what I'm saying? It, it is in this culture, but it's not just this culture. It's every culture. In this culture, there was a tendency sometimes, especially in the Greco-Roman world, to only bring people into your home and into your relationship who can give you something back in return. It's called reciprocity. So, I'll have Matt over for a meal. But only if I can get something back from that. Because you owe me, pal. You eat in my house? What do I get out of this thing? Right? I mean, that kind of mentality was rampant in the Greco-Roman world. But I'm not so sure it's not rampant in every world. Because it's, it's kind of endemic to humanity for me to say, if I'm going to spend any time with you, you better be giving me something back. Isn't that easy to do? And Jesus is saying to this host, you're talking about turning their world upside down. They thought they were going to have him in for, him for this time, and they were going to shame him with, with, over this guy with dropsy. And about this time, everybody must be shaking their heads saying, what happened? Like, didn't we have him in, and now he's doing, like, what's this all? You know, I mean, it's amazing what Jesus does. And Jesus says instead, do you love all people? The people that nobody else cares about? A, dropsy, a man with dropsy? Are you trying to impress people or just love people for my glory? And do you reach out to people who can never pay you back? We just had a mission team a few weeks back go to West Virginia. Now, Yes, they will all tell you. I, I think you guys are talking next week or something, right? I'm sure they will all tell you it was such a blessing back on us. I, I, absolutely. It always is. It always is. But, but they didn't get immediate payback from all those people. They went down there just for one purpose, to give. They didn't expect money back. They didn't expect words of thanks. They just gave. And that's what this text is all about, folks. It's about freeing us to be people who just give. And who are the people that are freed just to give? You know who? Only those that know God. So the ones that get rewarded at the in, the, in the future are those who do what God wants them to do because they know the God who empowers them to do that. Do, do, do you see? And so he looks at a group. This is what Jesus is not saying. Hey, host, who didn't know Christ, who didn't love Christ, he's not saying, why don't you just have a couple poor people in and you'll make it into heaven? He's not saying that at all. He's calling him to live a way that he could never live apart from knowing God first. Do you see? And so Jesus comes into this meal with religious people and he says, you don't love, you're not humble, and you don't give unless you can get it back. And Jesus says, that's not how I work. As a matter of fact, <laughs> there's so much pressure at this point. You've got to love what happens in verse 15. 
And when one of those who, who was reclining at the table heard this, he said, well, blessed is everyone who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. You, you know, the guy's just trying to come up with something to try to take off the pressure. And Jesus turns around and he gives a parable. He tells about a man that's having this great meal. He invites people to come in, given special invitations. And each one of them comes back and says, sorry, can't come. I got a business issue. Second guy says, I got a business issue. One guy with his livestock, the other one with his land, can't come. Third guy says, I just got married. Well, that's a little bit of a better excuse, I suppose. But got married, got to do some things with my wife, and I can't come. All people who said they were coming now aren't coming. Who represent the religious leaders of the day. And in the parable, this man sends out his servants to reach out to the poor, the crippled, the poor, the blind, lame, the blind, all those kinds of individuals, and brings them in. And here's the point. God says, I am about loving all people. People that nobody else cares about, I reach out and I say, will you come? You realize that you are crippled spiritually? Come! You're blind spiritually? Come! You're lame spiritually? Come! People who say, Lord, I have nothing. And he says, come and find forgiveness for me. He gives a parable about a God who reaches out and just loves people who only know one thing. They have great needs. And the only ones that don't come are those who have great excuses. I don't need you, God. And in this text, God is calling his people to live like him. Do you realize that? God is the one who loves the man with dropsy. God is the one that reaches out to any person who... Don't you love that, folks? The only people God cannot help are those that don't think they need God to help. But if you don't know Christ and you say, God, I have nothing. I, I, I need you. I, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I'm a, I, don't, I don't know. He sweeps you into his kingdom. That's who our God is. And he calls us to be the same kind of people who reach out to people not to get back from them, not for this agenda or that, just to love them in the name of Christ. And the gracious God in his time at the end of the age will reward us even though we don't even deserve it because he's so wonderful. See, that's what he does. And he sends his son, as Philippians 2 says, Jesus Christ, who was God of very God, did not say, hey, why can't I be the father instead of the son? Why do I have to go? No, no. He doesn't do that. But in humility before the father, he impoverishes himself and becomes one of us. Not just any servant, but one of us. And then he humbles himself by not only dying, but dying the shame on the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Do you see, folks? 
Jesus moves into the world as we read in Luke 4 and we see throughout his ministry. And in humility, not to impress people, he just humbly loves people. And he loves all people. And he reaches out to them and cares for them. And he looks at us as his people and he says, don't live like the religious establishment. Based on God's model of love and Christ's example of love. Move into this world and say, I just want to give for him. I don't want to impress you. I just want to impress him. Folks, the gospel frees us to do that. Do you know that? And, 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 and our prayer, my, my prayer for myself, because you know what? I, I, am, I read a passage like this and I say, man, apart from God's working, I'm a scoundrel. You know, I, I, it's so easy for me to play these silly religious games instead of allowing the gospel to so free us that we're free just to love. Will you let God do that work in your life? Will, will you do me a favor? As we go to prayer, and I'm going to wait about 30 seconds before I pray. Will you pray to God? Will you ask him if there's somebody that he wants you to touch? Somebody that comes to your mind as, oh, not anybody that can pay me back, but somebody that God wants you to reach out to. Will you put a name and a face to the request? And then I'm going to close in prayer. Let's pray.